recognize you as the glorious one, the one who is worthy of all honor. And God, we acknowledge that we don't always give that to you. We, we pray for forgiveness for those times where we have withheld that from you. But God, I pray that our souls would get a glimpse again of who you are. And in response, I pray that we would rejoice in you. You are our wonderful, glorious God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could choose between light and joy on the one hand, or darkness and gloom on the other hand, which one would you choose? It's not a difficult choice, right? Let me ask you another question about how you view your life. Do you generally feel like life is spinning out of control? Or maybe you have moments of time in your life where you feel like, boy, things just aren't going right and I'm not sure that they ever will go right again. Or do you have this constant peace about you that you always remember that God is king and he is in control? Or here's another question. If there were a scale from zero to ten, on zero would be despair. Or we could call it lots of things. We could call it depression. We could call it darkness. We could call it this soul-aching And on the other side, 10 would be complete joy. Just this unexplainable, overwhelming joy. Let's say right in the middle, number five there would be just this kind of general unrest. This, you know, things aren't terrible, but I kind of have this feeling about me that things just aren't quite the way that they should be. Where would you put yourself on that scale? Now, we all probably are kind of like a roller coaster. We go through that scale back and forth at all times in our lives. But if you had to pick a number, just the the life average number for you, where would you put yourself on that scale? Zero is despair, ten is complete joy. Where would you put yourself on that scale? Well, the reason I ask is because I believe that God wants us to live in joy. Every year around Thanksgiving at Cornerstone, we do a series on the book of Psalms. So I, I counted them up, and I think it was 26 Psalms that we've looked at over the last seven years. And we're going to do another three Psalms this year, one today and two next Sunday. Two short ones next Sunday. Uh, but one of the reasons I love the Psalms so much is that they help us. Wherever we're coming from, wherever we're at on that scale of zero to ten, they help us to focus rightly on who God is and, and teach us how to rejoice in him. The Psalms remind us of things that we can do to stay on the right track with God. And one of the main reminders that I get from the Psalms is this this idea that we were created to worship God. Did you know that? I was just listening to a sermon this week from John Piper. Brian, this is for you. Um, But... uh, he was, saying, he was actually preaching to preachers, and he says, it is our job as preachers to remind you all that we are to be worshipers. Our lives are to be taken up with the task of worshiping God, of rejoicing in Him. That's what I want us to do this morning. As we look at Psalm 97, I want you to remember how God created you to worship him, to rejoice in him. And I think that that's when our lives run the best. Our lives tend to get off track when we take our eyes off of God. And there are so many other things that we can put our eyes on. There are so many desires that we have, so many thoughts about how we can run our own life. But for me, I'm just convinced that my life gets off, off track when I forget about God. And one of the best ways to stay on track is to remember to worship Him and to rejoice in Him. 
So what I wanted to do today is I wanted to pick the psalm that had the most joy in it. I want to talk about rejoicing in God. So I got out my concordance and I looked up words like joy and rejoice and I counted which psalm has the most occurrences of it. And you know what it was? Psalm 119, which is also by far the longest psalm. It's the longest chapter in the Bible and we're not going to do that today. Maybe someday I'm going to tackle Psalm 119, but not today. So in second place there was a tie. Uh, Psalm 126, which I've already preached on here. That's one of the 26 psalms I've already preached on here. Um, so I'm not going to do that one today. But Psalm 97 was also tied in second place. Psalm 97 has four words for joy or rejoice in it, and it also has two words for glad in it. So it's this wonderful psalm about how we can rejoice in who God is. And my hope in looking at this psalm is that it will just simply encourage us to remember who God is, and as a result, that we would come before him and rejoice in him. So Psalm 97, I'm going to read it now. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols, worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is shed upon the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. So verse 1 starts out with a really important reminder for us. The Lord reigns. Now I learned something new this week. I didn't know this about Psalms 93 through 100, but they are kind of a grouping of psalms. And taken together, Psalms 93 through 100 emphasize two facts. One, the Lord reigns. He is king. And number two, we should rejoice in him. So if you're looking for a homework assignment, I'd encourage you to read Psalms 93 through 100. They're each pretty short. It would be a, a great thing for you to pull into your devotions this week. Just this idea of remembering who God is and remembering to rejoice in him. So when it says in verse 1, the Lord reigns, it immediately follows it up by saying, let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. And let's just stop here for a moment for application. God is king. He has always been king. He always will be king. He is in control. And I realize there are things in each of our lives that make it feel like our lives might be out of control. But please remember, the Lord has never stopped reigning. So whatever it is that you're going through, you can just stop wherever you are and rejoice in the Lord because he reigns as king. And it's interesting. As we rejoice, we are strengthened in our faith. So we recognize that God reigns and we rejoice and the result is that we're strengthened. Think about our benediction verses here, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I, I, I think it's awesome. The, that, those two verses tell us how we are to continue to live in Jesus Christ as Lord. And the last thing it says is that we are to be overflowing with thankfulness. 
And I am convinced, without question, I mean, preaching through 26 psalms over the last seven years, uh, reading the psalms on my own, I am just convinced that our faith is strengthened as we overflow with thankfulness to God. So, so let's do it, right? Let's remember that God is king. Whatever we're going through, let's go to him and rejoice. Okay, then back to Psalm 97, verses 2 through 7 give us an important reminder that there is only one God, and he is powerful and glorious. He is all glorious. Verse 2 reminds us that he is the God of righteousness and justice. Verse 3 reminds us that he is the God who will consume his enemies with fire. It's something we need to remember about God. And then verses 4 through 5 remind us that he's the God who's in control of all nature. Now it's interesting to me that in verse 4, the earth sees all of this and trembles. Because in verse 1, the earth was glad when it saw that the Lord reigns. But now the earth trembles in verse 4. And I think that there's a connection between rejoicing and trembling. It would be the word fear. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament remind us that we are to fear the Lord. Now, in Christ, we don't need to be afraid of him because God has already told us through the gospel message that anyone who receives Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and continues in faith will have eternal life. So we don't need to fear on Judgment Day what will happen to us. But we should carry around this sense of fear of not wanting to be on the wrong side of him, not wanting to oppose him. Now, if that sounds confusing, let's let Moses clear it up a little bit. This is a wonderful verse. In, uh, where do I have this here? It's Exodus 20:20, right there. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Now, some people might look at that as an oxymoron. I don't think so. I, I think it's really great. Do not be afraid, Moses said. But on the other hand, God has done this so that the fear of the Lord will be with you to keep you from sinning. So we don't need to fear him, but we should carry around this, this fear of him so that we flee from sin. And I think it's a, it's a good tension for us to remember. God is the Holy One, and we don't want to oppose him. Okay, getting back to Psalm 97, verse 6 says, The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. It reminds me of Romans 1, which we studied not too long ago here. In Romans 1, we're told that all, God has revealed himself to all people so that we are all without excuse. We all can simply look at creation and know that there is a God. So think about that. What's one of your favorite parts of God's creation? Is it a newborn baby? Or a sunset? Or a snowfall? Christine will often look at the snow falling and say, oh, isn't it such a beautiful snow? And I think, I'm going to have to shovel that. But, uh, <laughs> so I probably wouldn't pick the snowfall one. But, uh, but I love looking at the stars. Think about the majesty of creation. And then just think how creation itself cries out, there is a God. It says here, the heavens proclaim his righteousness. All the peoples see his glory. So by the time we get to verse 7, it's ridiculous to think of worshiping worthless idols. Why would we worship a block of stone or wood or even a precious metal when we can worship God himself? Now, truth be told, we're probably not tempted to worship wood or stone, even gold. But idolatry can come in a lot of forms. Idolatry can come, it, it comes when anything or anyone else besides God takes the place of God. That could be a lot of things. It could be your work. could be a hobby. could be pleasure. could be money. could be another person. 
No one else besides God is worthy of our worship. He is all-powerful and glorious. He's the only God. Let's worship him. That's why verse 7 ends by saying, Worship him, all you gods. And, and the word gods there um, could be translated as supernatural powers. Some people think that it's talking about the angels there, that it's commanding even the angels to worship God. But the idea again, there's only one king who is worthy of worship. And it is the God who has revealed himself to us through his creation. And let me just stop here and say a few words about joy along these lines. Joy comes when we recognize God for who he is. When we see God rightly, we see that he is the king of the earth. And again, we sometimes think that earth is spinning out of control, but it isn't. God is in control. And sometimes we get so fixated on our little slice of earth that we forget about the God who is sovereign over all. We get so caught up in our world and our things, the things that we want to do, that too often we forget who God is. But when we rightly see God for who he is, I think that's where our joy comes from. We recognize that he's in control. We recognize that we can cast our burdens, our anxieties, our worries before him because he cares for us. So again, if Psalm 93 through 100 emphasize that God is king and that we should rejoice in him, one of our takeaways from Psalm 97 is that only when we know God is king and worship him rightly will our lives run the way that they should. We weren't created to be the king, the lord of our own lives. Only when we recognize God as the rightful king will our lives, will our lives go the way that they should. Again, our lives get off track in so many different ways, but really it all comes down to one thing, taking our eyes off of God. And that's again why I love to do this psalm series every year around Thanksgiving. And it's, and it's not just because this is the one section of the year where we should thank God because I, I want this to stand just as an annual reminder, an annual checkup for us. How are you doing with God? Are you recognizing him as king? Are you worshiping him rightly? Are you rejoicing in him? When we see God for who he really is, it should cause us to rejoice. And that's exactly what we see in verses 8 through 9, where it says, Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Zion is a word that represents where God's people dwell with God. And in Zion, they hear this wonderful news of God reigning as king, and they rejoice. The villages of Judah are glad when they remember that God is king. The Lord is the Most High. He is the exalted one. And Zion rejoices. And then verses 10 through the 12 are the ones that I really want to focus on. These are the ones that bring it home for us. It's not just that God used to be king back in Bible times. And it's not just that God is the king of Israel. It's that God is still the king of all the earth. He's our king too. And in verses 10 through 12, we see two things. We see how we are supposed to respond to God. And second, we see what God will do for us. So I want to look at those two things uh, in the rest of my sermon here. But first, we're going to look at how we are supposed to respond to God. If he's king, we should respond a certain way. And in verse 10, it says, Let those who love the Lord hate evil. So first, we're supposed to love the Lord. And that sounds familiar, right? Jesus said it's the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if that sounds like a big deal, it is. It takes all of your everything to do it for all of the rest of your life. 
So when you've done that, let me know, and I'll give you a candy bar. Um, or maybe we'll just let God give you the reward, actually. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then it also says that we're supposed to hate evil. Hate evil. And let me ask you a question about that. When you hear the phrase that we are supposed to hate evil, this is kind of like one of those Rorschach ink tests. Okay, I want to... First word that pops out of your mind. When you hear the word, the words hate evil, are you thinking about the evil that's out there in the world? Or are you thinking about the evil that's in your own heart? I think that first and foremost, we should look at the evil within our own heart first. I think that we should be people who hate sin so much in ourselves that we want it gone. I want to go around as a person for the rest of my life who is always willing to take the log out of my eye before I help somebody else with a speck in their eye. And, and I think that if we walk around that way, that we'll be much more ready to productively help solve the evil in this world if we're first letting God work on our hearts and take care of the evil there. So what do we do? We repent. As soon as you recognize that you are sinning, you repent. For some reason, we all get off track sometimes. We all do things that we know we shouldn't do. The response should be that we repent immediately. That we go to God and say, God, I'm sorry, that is wrong. You've told me that it's wrong. Would you please forgive me? And God, would you please strengthen me not to do that same thing again? And then I'd also just add, if you've offended anybody else in the process, that you go to them and you ask for forgiveness to them, for, from them as well. Okay, continuing on in our look at what we're supposed to do, let's move ahead to verse 11. Verse 11 mentions two things. We're supposed to be righteous and upright in heart. Both of those phrases imply doing what's right. One of the word pictures in the, New, in the Old Testament is that God has a path for us to walk on and he doesn't want us to stray to the right or to the left. So, walking on God's path. People who love the Lord are people who are careful to watch their ways. People who love the Lord are people who are constantly going to God and saying, God, is this what you would have me do? Is that thing that I just did something that you didn't want me to do? Let's be upright in heart by doing what God wants. And then verse 12. I want to reread that one. It says, Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. So we are to rejoice and praise his name. And those are both commands. Those are things that God commands us to do. Rejoicing isn't just something that we do when we feel like it. And that's actually an encouragement to me. Because our rejoicing in the Lord is not just some emotional event of when finally things well up correctly inside of me, then I write. No. Rejoicing is something that we can really do at any moment of our lives. And it's, in fact, something that we're supposed to do continually throughout the rest of our lives. And what I have found again is that when I stop rejoicing in the Lord, when I stop worshiping Him, is when my life gets off track. We all go through these mountaintops and valley experiences, and I have found that what gets me in a valley is usually taking my eyes off the Lord, and what gets me out of the valley is rejoicing in Him and thanking Him. So I just want to give that to you as a little tip. Maybe you're in one of those valleys right now. I'm guessing with you know, a, a group this size, there are probably many of you who are in a valley right now. And I just want to encourage you to look up to God, to rejoice in Him. It might feel difficult, but on that note, 
I want to remind you of, of two things from verse 10 that we can rejoice in God in in any time. Even if you're going through the worst possible thing in your life right now, verse 10 tells us two things that we can always rejoice in. The first is it says he guards the lives of his faithful ones. Now the word guards here is probably better translated as watches over. In whatever we face, we know that God watches over his faithful ones. Now, that does mean that we should be faithful. But remember, how much, how much faith does it take to see God move powerfully? Remember Jesus' parable about the mustard seed of faith, the smallest seed that they knew of? He said, if you have faith that size, you can say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, and it will happen. Now, I've never seen a mountain thrown into the sea, but I think that God has more important things to do. And I'm encouraged by that parable of Jesus that if we can muster up, even muster up, that mustard seed of faith, we can see God move in powerful ways and perhaps even, maybe even more comforting to our souls here, we can know that God watches over us. So if you're going through a difficult time right now, just find that faith to go to God and rejoice that he's watching over, that he hasn't forgotten. He's not too busy with somebody else. He watches over his faithful ones. So whatever you're going through, you can stop and say, God, I thank you that you see this. Thank you that you're with me in it. And then the second thing from verse 10, it says that God delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Now, there may be times in our lives where we, where we see the wicked getting their own way. But ultimately, we can trust that God delivers from wicked because we know the end of the story. Jesus has defeated sin and death and the devil. And for any who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we know that we get to spend eternity with him in heaven. I was recently at a deathbed situation and, and I was praying and um, I've said this enough to you all that I've, I've heard myself say it so I tried to do it. I, I said, I'm going to start off this prayer even though this person is dying. I'm going to start off this prayer by saying thanks to God and I started off with this with saying, God, I thank you that you watch over that you know what's going on here. And then I just paused and you know, kind of through the tears I said, and God, we rejoice perhaps even more now than ever that you are the God who delivers. Our lives get off track when we forget that God is king, when we, things start to feel like they're spinning out of control and we feel like we can't take care of it and we wish that things were different and we get so self-centered and so focused on the things of this world that we forget that God is in control. Rejoicing in God in those moments is a wonderful way for us to get back on track. So rejoice in the Lord, whatever you're going through. And let me just ask an application question there. What does it look like for you to rejoice in the Lord? How do we do that in our daily lives? Well, simply, we can thank him at any time in prayer. And I just want to encourage you again. I, I, I think I said this last week. I'll say it again. One of the great ways to start off your prayer is by thanking God for something. And whatever it is you're going through, find something to thank God for. And if you can't think of anything, here's two things. He watches over, he delivers from wicked. There's salvation for his faithful ones and God's watchful presence at all times. But then also we can worship God. And I've found that singing is actually a great way for our souls to rejoice in God. Even if you're not a singer, try it. It's a good way, if, if you're going through a valley, just 
sing to God because we know he's worthy of worship even if we don't feel that he's worthy of worship. And then we can also worship him by living the lives he's called us to live. Our, our acts of devotion to him are a way to thank him. So whether that's praying or reading your Bible or shoveling somebody else's sidewalk or whatever it is that you're doing, you can do it for the Lord as a way to worship him. But again, rejoicing is a choice. And I'm, I'm pretty convinced of this. I remember where I was about, it was about 12 years ago, and I heard a pastor giving a message on how our attitude is a choice. And I wasn't quite sure I was with him, but he used this analogy of how his teenage daughter was having this terrible day, and then all of a sudden the phone rang, and it was one of her friends, and all of a sudden her face just beamed with joy because she was talking with one of her friends. He said, our attitude is a choice that we make. And ever since then, I've become more and more convinced of it, that our attitude really is a choice. In our house, we have come up with a new word for somebody with a, with a bad attitude. It's actually a real word, but we've kind of changed the meaning of it. It's the word frumpy. Now, the word frumpy, I just looked this up, it comes from a word that means sour-looking, and that's actually kind of what... There's a, um, sometimes when somebody has a gloomy face or a frown on, we'll say, oh, you're looking pretty frumpy. And you know what's kind of funny about the word frumpy? Is that when we say that word, it usually causes people to laugh. So uh, they're going through a, a, a difficult time and all of a sudden something funny happens and they smile again. And, and the idea is that we all have these times in our lives where we focus on the negative, where we forget that there's good things all around us, that God is watching over us. And again, we could choose to dwell on those things but one of the ways that I like to think about our lives is that nothing can make us frumpy. Nothing can make us despair. That's actually a choice that we make. We allow those things to, let, to get to us. Now, certainly, bad things happen. I, I don't want to suggest that bad things are going to... I don't think that being a Christian is like a magic wand and all of a sudden nothing bad ever happens. Not at all. God knows better than we do that bad things happen. In fact, we're promised suffering in Christ. But in the midst of whatever it is we're going through, we can choose to rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, many of you know this one. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Any of you want to know God's will for your life? God's will is that you would give thanks in all circumstances. There you go. You can walk away from today saying, I now know God's will for my life. To give thanks in all circumstances. That in all is a pretty powerful thing, and it reminds me of Romans 8.28, which we looked at just recently in our sermon series. Um, I'm going to read that one here. We know that in all things... Let's, 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 yeah. Where is, there we go. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In all things, God's working for good. So in all things, we can rejoice. It is God's will for us to do that. And there's a, a wonderful example in the Old Testament of people rejoicing even in difficult times. In Habakkuk 3, there's two verses there. The first verse, verse 17, says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, sounds pretty bad. You think about the things that they needed for daily life back then, and they're basically saying, we don't have any of it. What do you think the next verse says? Do you think it says, so I went in the corner and cried? No, listen, the next verse, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. We are to choose to rejoice. 
And we can rejoice because we know that God is king. He is in control and he loves us and has good plans for us. And then let's move on now to see what God will do for us. We just looked at what we should do in response to this. We should rejoice. What does God do for us? What's his part? Well, in this psalm, we see this wonderful interplay between what God wants us to do and what he will do for us. For example, we are commanded to rejoice in him. But in verse 11, we also see that he will give joy to the upright in heart. Do you see that? He, he commands us to rejoice and he tells us that he will give us joy. Sometimes God tells us to do something and then he ends up doing for us the very thing that he has asked us to do. And uh, this was standing out to me in the college ministry that I lead. We're walking through the book of Colossians there and in chapter 3, um, it commands us to clothe ourselves with... Th- Let me read these here. I want to get them all. We're commanded to clothe ourselves with kindness, gentleness, and patience. We're commanded to put on love and to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. So those five things, kindness, gentleness, patience, love, and peace, are all commands that God is asking us to do. But as I was going through them, I was thinking about Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. And all five of those are listed as fruit of the Spirit. And the way that I understand the fruit of the Spirit is that it is not something that we produce in us. It is something that God produces in us. So let's just take one of those, for example. Love. God commands us to love, but he also tells us he will give us love. So which one is it? Are we to do it simply out of obedience? Or does God give us the strength to do it? Which one is it? It's both. As... And and let's go back to Psalm 97 and look at this. Verse 11 says that God sheds joy on the upright in heart. And verse 12 is a command to rejoice in the Lord. As we rejoice in the Lord, God gives us joy. That would be my big idea for today if you want to write something down in your bulletin for those of you that do that. God gives us joy as we rejoice in him. That's the way that our lives work. That's the way that God has created it to work. That's the blessing that God wants to pour out on us as we recognize him for who he is and worship him rightly. So joy is both a command and it is a gift from God. It's the same root word in both verse 11 and verse 12. The command and the gift. God is the God who gives joy and light to people. And like I said, he is the God who is working in all things for the good of those who love him. So we can rejoice in the Lord at all times. So let me ask a question now. Do you do that? Do you rejoice in the Lord at all times? Or do you go through these moments of your life where you forget that God's in control? Do you go weeks in between telling God thanks for something? We shouldn't. We should constantly be rejoicing in the Lord and telling Him thanks for who He is and what He has done. And a huge part of our joy comes from recognizing who God is. So let's just stop real quick. Who is God? Well, he's the God who loves us and has revealed himself to us through his creation. He's the God who loves us so much that he sent his son for us. That is a God that we can rejoice in. We should recognize that he's always been king and always will be king. No matter what goes on, God is in control. So we should serve him. We should worship him. Recognize that we can rejoice in all things. And as we do that, God gives us light and joy. The theologian Derek Kidner says, The whole spirit of this psalm has been to view the final victory as if it were already an accomplished 
fast. Because God is victorious, we can rejoice, even if we don't feel like it. And perhaps you could even say, especially if we don't feel like it. We can and should rejoice in the Lord. It's good for our souls. God receives glory. We receive light and joy. So let's rejoice in the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, we recognize you as the King who reigns. You are Lord of all. All people see your glory. And God, we recognize you as the God who watches over your faithful ones and the God who delivers us from wicked. You are the God of salvation. You are the God who gives joy and light. So God, we come before you and we rejoice. And again, God, we come before you and we ask for forgiveness for those times where we have forgotten to rejoice, where our lives have gotten off track because we've taken our eyes off of you. But God, we want to come before you right now and proclaim you are God, you are glorious, and we rejoice in you. We thank you, God, for who you are, and we pray that you would strengthen us to live our lives in you, continuing to rejoice in who you are for the rest of our lives, for the rest of eternity, because God, you are glorious. We praise you. We rejoice in you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.